I started writing Food for the Archons as a book of despair after watching my father die in 2013. During his transition, I experienced a series of paranormal and psychic events that left me feeling that I had either gone completely crazy or fell into humanity's darkest secret. I spent the next five years conducting extensive research, and I quickly learned that what I had experienced was real. My journey brought me to an understanding that showed me that despite the terrifying reality of an unseen predator, we as humans have a forgotten power. Just knowing this brings us tremendous hope in what once seemed a dark reality. I wrote this book for me in hopes of gaining a better understanding of our reality and relationship to it, but my hope is that you will find as much value in reading it as I did in writing it. I am human, food for the Archons, humanity's psychic connections, simulated realities, parallel worlds, and the manipulation of mankind. It's available on Amazon.com and at SixthSenseMedia.net and wherever books are sold. I'm Dennis Nappy II, reminding you to let your intuition be your guide. Thank you. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. But there's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Okay, my friends, I have uh, a special guest on the line tonight. Mark Sirto is returning to the podcast this evening. Founder of the Triad Mind. He's an explorer in consciousness. His resume does include the Monroe Institute, and I encourage you to listen to our last discussion that we had. It must have been about two years ago now. Time flies, uh, where we discussed a lot of that experience and what that was like uh, working with Bob Monroe. And tonight we're going to talk about uh, the Triad Mind program, meditation, consciousness, exploration, and of course everything that's going on in the world and how we can use that to uh, address this situation, how we can meditate to uh, try to deal with and cope with some of the stress that we're experiencing. So, Mark, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking, Dennis, and thanks for having me back on the program. It was a joy speaking with you last time. Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I always enjoy opportunities that we have to connect. Uh, I'm really enjoying the Triad Mind program. Uh, you know, I, I move at a, a snail's pace, but I'm okay with that. I've been working that first exercise, uh, and, and it's been really uh, relaxing and peaceful, which has been <laughs> much needed uh, during these stressful times. So I thank you for that. You're very welcome, and I'm glad you're putting it to good use, and I highly recommend everybody take their time with it if they sign up. I mean, the uh, program is designed for a six-month integration period, and I always recommend that people listen to each exercise at least three times so they fully get it in their bones, so to speak. And that's and that's what's cool about it is, is you have um, kind of, I don't, I don't want to use the word lecture because that makes me think I'm sitting in a college class. We have a discussion audio right um before the actual exercise and of course you know when i started i was like i don't want to listen to a lecture i just want to jump into the exercise but i did right. i listened to it and I'm, I'm so thankful that i did because at certain points you remember the things that you said and, and here's what's going to happen here so you feel at peace and you say okay this program is working because this is exactly what mark told me that i was going to expect um and it's informative as well on this adventure do you want to talk a little bit about uh you know this program yeah. Yeah, well, I'd like to talk a little bit about the the lectures, quote unquote, because I, um, you know, I, I I kind of eschew the notion of being a teacher. I've always been uh, a facilitator of direct experiences in altered states, and the only reason that I have those spoken word lectures, quote unquote, which I call for your consideration because I'm really not trying to lecture or teach anybody anything. But I do like the notion of setting up the exercise and the intention to the listener, at least from my perspective, from the get-go, because when you go into the direct experience, you carry a bit of that with you. But I know personally that everybody will have the experiences that they need to have specific to that exercise. And I really look forward to give the feedback that I get from individuals telling me um, exactly what their experiences were, or at least in broad strokes, so that I know that my intention 
sort of aligns with the intention that I get from the guidance that brought this whole program together to begin with. So that's always a nice feature. But uh, the program itself is... Uh, my elevator statement is that it allows the explorer to look at consciousness through the lens of three discrete stratum of consciousness with, that we all are subjective to. Um, that is the conscious mind, that which we experience in our daily lives as we're walking around in full awareness. The subconscious mind, that which is motivating so much of what we experience, how we make sense of the world based on our past experiences, memories, repressed desires. I mean, the, the, the notion of the subconscious mind is well documented, mm -hmm. and there's really no reason for me to, to go too deeply into that. But uh, and, and the superconscious mind, that yearning to discover the divine within ourselves and the divine within others in all sentient life, basically. And the program is in essence, a program of self-actualization, not from necessarily Maslow's hierarchy mm -hmm. uh, definition of that term, even though he's the one that brought it into the uh, popular lexicon. But it, it, it is that, and it's more. It's a program of self-realization and using the creative power within in order to create the reality and, and the observance of the lessons that we've come into the world to experience in the first place. That's a, um, you know, that's a great breakdown of those, of those three different aspects. And these are things that I'm, I'm learning about now and, and learning to recognize the difference. Cause I think when you really start exploring consciousness and, and you start having experiences, encounters, uh, getting information, you start to ask yourself, where's this coming from you know and i i know you have uh, some roadmaps in your mind i know there's other uh explorers out there and, and psychiatrists and psychologists who have roadmaps out there and i think that's a great way of, of explaining it you know for starters is you know the conscious mind the subconscious and then uh, that super consciousness um because you have these experiences and, I, and sometimes i say to myself did i imagine that or yeah, or, did that come from somewhere else? And and so it's neat well, as you're trying to identify the different points where things are coming from. Well, the only thing I really want to suggest is that we do operate on these three stratum of mind simultaneously. And I can simplify it for the listener who really might have a problem with anything uh, uh, spiritual, you know, uh, we can talk about the superconscious as being a form of inspiration, a form of wisdom, mm -hmm. a form of feeling connected, love falls into that as well. These are very common mundane experiences that everybody can relate to. But there is a deeper impulse, I think, with most people, even atheists I've spoken with, have some yearning to understand that their life is more than just the period of time in which this organism I call me uh, was born and will die, you know, and it has no meaning. This is a, a, this is a very deep desire within cross-cultural within the human species that wants to understand what the purpose of life is. And when they can get into the experience of that kind of connectedness, whether it be through love, through, um, you know, amazing transcending experiences, a sense of oneness, all of these things are at the very top of, of Maslow's hierarchy of need or understanding of what it means to be human. So it does fall into that psychological um, breakdown that you were describing before. But simultaneously, I find it really interesting because I have a lot of friends who are, um, you know, some clinical psychologists, and they, they differ very much in their understanding of human psyche than, say, a Jungian psychologist or, uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it's just this constant battle, which I absolutely love because, to me, the question of what it means to be consciousness or consciousness is is literally the forefront of what it means to be human mm -hmm. specifically and and to move 
into that and not have an absolute definition as to the hard problem of quantum consciousness as scientists like to talk about and not having an absolute understanding of it is kind of like evolution's way of saying, oh, I see you've come this far. Well, good. I'm going to move that thin red line a little bit further back so that you can try to, there'll be a gap there for you to explore. Because that, too, is part of human nature, the need to explore things. And, and I think that's a great point that you're bringing up. And, you know, for a long time, especially after going through trauma and hardship, I, I got so frustrated with conflict um, and, and, and the arguments and, and the, the questioning of things. And uh, as I was really thinking on and meditating, I realized, well, if it wasn't for a conflict, and the conflict doesn't have to be, let's go have a fist fight. I mean, it can just be a simple disagreement with somebody, an opinion like you mentioned. That's what fosters growth if you're willing to come to the table with an open mind, um, regardless of what, quote, camp you prescribe to. If you can have that conversation, I mean, I'll talk to people who have beliefs that I think personally are way off the wall. But I walk away from that going, well, this is similar to this thing that I you know, believe in or prescribe to. And now I can see how they merge together and I just learned something. And I think that's where the yeah. growth comes from through that, those disagreements. Very, right. That's a very perceptive realization. And you could take a little further down that rabbit hole and talk about the internal conflicts we all experience. Mm -hmm. Jung talked a great deal about how psychic conflict, you know, between, let's call it the root of good and evil, or, or you should I do this versus that, and it it seems so uh, diametrically opposed one to the other, and we get into these places where we get stuck or we fight, or, you know, that kind of psychic tension actually fosters growth internally as well. So it's it can be seen outside of you and inside of you, absolutely. That's a great point. I, I think about all the, my mind is constantly racing, usually about things like this. And mm -hmm. uh, I have these battles over, you know, which way is the right way? And I, I think there's no really right way, but which way works for me now is more like it. But just having these arguments inside, and then eventually you kind of do have a breakthrough. And that breakthrough doesn't always mean like, this is it, this is the way. It, it, right. This is what works for now. I, I've, I've learned that over the years. Like, this is going to work for now, and I'm going to prescribe to this. And then in a year, five years, ten years, one day you realize, like, hey, that doesn't serve me anymore, and I'm going to go in a different direction now. That's the neat thing about right. that internal, you know, battle that you have. And that's one of the things that's so beautiful about Buddhist meditation training mm -hmm. is when they talk about approaching things with the beginner's mind, you yeah. know, because at a certain age, we think we know who we are, yeah. and that knowledge, quote-unquote, limits our potential growth. Yeah. I'm not saying that the ego doesn't have a place in there, but the um, the ego's belief structures can be more pliable and malleable if, if and, and allow for a, a larger uh, portion of ourselves via the superconscious mind to um, replace the old ego beliefs into a new way of being. So uh, there's just tremendous potential in, in all of this exploration of consciousness, in my experience. And, and it really gets you to know yourself, um, to include that it's, ego, because I, I know I have right. a big one, <laughs> and, I, and I've battled mm -hmm. with it, but um, it's nice when you reach that point. Uh, and you start to recognize beliefs that you didn't even realize that you've had because we all have beliefs. At some point, you have to pick something to believe in. Um, yeah. But I think the key is in recognizing that at any moment, uh, that belief could be shattered, <laughs> literally just shattered. And, and we are seeing that play out right now as the coronavirus spreads. The biggest thing that I'm watching and hearing from people that I'm working with has a lot to do with the anxiety of the unknown. Mm -hmm. They just don't know. One thing I think we can say for 7.8 billion egos on this planet is we all have a, a very disturbed relationship with the unknown. Mm -hmm. It's a big black hole. Yeah. And being able to traverse in that black hole of the unknown is one of the many benefits of doing meditation exercises where uh, this is subconscious 
is um, is is permeated and and walking around in there full of nooks and crannies, full of the unknown. Yeah, beliefs do pop up if you go and explore these uh, that strata of being, but for the most part, it's a big dark hole, just like uh, the notion of not being dead. You know, and we can proselytize and we can philosophize and and have very strong beliefs about what happens after we physically pass along. But the truth is, nobody really knows. Right, right, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that, that does come into the the belief structure. Even people that have had those experiences, those, you know, they, they can... They build their belief based on the near-death experience that they've had, right. but they don't. They got a glimpse. You know, it, it's just like remote viewing. You're getting a tiny glimpse of a scene, and you do your best to interpret the data. Um, but we don't. We don't know until we get that feedback, which we don't always get the full feedback that we need. Um, so then there's right, that. And Go ahead. I was going to say to your point, those folks who have had out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences do come back from those experiences with a sense of awareness that transcends the physical body. I think those experiences are very helpful in coming to a sense that at least some part of us does survive physical death. But it brings up a whole lot of questions about what that is do I carry portions of my ego with me? Right. Where where do I reside? Quote unquote. Once I've left, you know, I do, I love the questions far more than the answers. But that's me personally. You know, I, I said something uh, about that in, in my book. You know, it's the question that's been the most important thing on this journey. You know, I, I always want the knowledge. I want to know, but every time I learn something. I realize just how much I don't know, and then I get another string of questions, or I'll get one big burning question, and that'll fuel me for sometimes years trying to explore that. And uh, when you get through that, you feel, well, I do feel a little bit more enlightened, and then you think a little bit longer, you go, man, I really don't know anything, and I have more questions, and it, it fosters that growth. Well, I've, I've met a lot of quote-unquote enlightened people in my life and spent my time listening to them talk and got to know some of them very intimately. And the truth of the matter is, is I'm not so certain what enlightenment is yeah. at all. I, all I know is that I'm personally not as darkened as I once was. And the folks that I've known that carry this light or can enliven a room through wisdom that we call enlightened people, they all have egos as well. Mm -hmm. they, they all have a sense of self. If we look at the word egos, meaning simply a sense of the self. But it's uh, the ego itself is a limited sense of self. These folks that I'm referring to, folks like yourself, folks like me, folks like the, uh, the ones who have had NDEs or obese, they, they have a greater sense of understanding that there's something more to this thing that we call a self than what the ego understands it to be. You know, that's, a, that's an excellent point. And, uh, you know, the past couple of years I've been almost looking, at, I, I see what's happening with artificial intelligence and the emergence of that consciousness. And I look mm -hmm. at my understanding of the evolution of human consciousness and I see a lot of similarities there. And I, I often wonder if we are even some form of AI or biological AI, and we're not even self-aware. I, I think about that a lot lately, is we are not self-aware. We may be waking up right now, maybe becoming self-aware, but we don't fully know what we are and how we fit in this universe beyond a few data points that we can collect here and there. Well, you, you may be right, and you bring up an interesting point, and, and there are other folks out there that, that speak that language. I look less towards the futuristic, mechanistic constructs of consciousness and look further into the past as to how it developed. Mm -hmm. I see all of these stories that you're talking about, like you know, when you were talking about being a, a member of the AI, a biological AI, and coming into awareness, the first thing that popped into my head was uh, the scene from The Matrix where Neo wakes up 
mm-hmm. in the matrix, you yeah. know. And and a lot of people have really taken that. But I look at all of this, whether it be Neo, whether it be Frodo from the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. or uh, uh, the the journeys of Lancelot and the the Knights of the Round Table, right. the story of Jesus, the story of Osiris, all of it to me is a hero's journey. So it's as yeah. ancient as human self-reflective awareness is, which is, we're pretty old in, yeah. in terms of being able to have these types of conversations and look for such answers. And the fact that we do that is amazing to me because it's actually a motivate. It's like the primum mobile of the motivation as to why it is that we seek at all. Now, on a psychological level, you know, the clinical psychologists might say, well, it's as simple as the fear of the unknown, which boils down to the fear of death. And there could be a lot of truth in that. But as I was saying before, I'm the type of person that doesn't look at my life as being having a beginning point and an end point. Hmm. All of that stuff in between that I call my life experience had a meaning or has a meaning. And in hindsight, I used to be able to find those meanings through synchronistic patterns that would show up as things went on. But what I'm seeing now in my personal growth is that they have meaning as I walk through my daily existence. And that's because of the trainings that I've been personally doing that I'm presenting in the triad mind, which is more of a, it's a very syncretic kind of viewpoint of consciousness and uses many different approaches from traditions that are very old, but I couch them in modern day language without being too forceful about, you know, a specific dogma or a specific philosophy. I'm just awakening that desire for understanding and and direct experience. And, and I think that's what's wonderful about your program, Mark, is that you don't get hung up on your own beliefs, which can be gatekeepers for a lot of us. You, the way you speak, the way you explain things, it's, um, I don't know if neutral is the right word, a neutral language. It's a language that's not going to trigger those those beliefs, those guardians that we have that will, oh, nope, shutting this experience down, I'm not listening to it. it it's just, you know, it, it's, it's relaxing and it's a step-by-step of hey, we're going to have this experience, and then you're going to learn from that experience. And I think that's very helpful to the to the students, at least for me, as I'm going through it. Well, I'm glad. Thank you very much for the compliment. Mm-hmm. I, I try very hard to make certain that the things that I necessarily hold as personal philosophies don't necessarily translate into what I'm presenting in the uh, FYCs, the For Your Consideration, quote-unquote, lectures, or the direct experience that I'm leading you to, you may have noticed that the language in the, uh, the, the meditation exercises is also very open-ended. I don't mm-hmm. tell anybody they're going to see this or see that. I tend to open up all the senses by saying, you know, sense in whatever way you can or notice or perhaps and that sort of thing. And these little suggestions are based on previous roadmaps that I've had as experiences, teachers that I've had that have had such experiences that uh, seem to be very common to all human experience in what we'll call altered states of consciousness. And I think that... uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and they're beneficial, and that's all I really need to say about that. Yeah, and I think that um, translates to, you know, just direct human conversation I'm, I'm reminded of when i was a police officer and i had to if i ever had to speak with a child if it was a very serious incident we'd hire out a, a forensic child interviewer but on the times that i would speak to kids we were trained you don't ask those leading questions you, you know like did somebody hurt you you'd say what right. happened and you know was right. his shirt blue or red well now you're narrowing their choices of what they're going to be able to answer because they want to please you you're injecting that right can you describe what they were wearing you know and and you do a very good job of that same approach not planting the seeds of here's what to expect it's just it's more saying generally here's what you're going to go through in terms of feeling relaxed but you're not putting those ideas of hey look for this marker because 
where we all have our own subjective experiences as we go through it. Absolutely. Well, you know, when I was making recordings for the Monroe Institute, we were using Bob Monroe's cosmology, and he would call these levels of consciousness focus levels. Mm -hmm. Good idea. You know, it was the creation of a roadmap in a, a, a states of consciousness that really didn't have any Western terms to them before. Mm -hmm. So he would call this one level focus 10, which was supposed to be your mind still awake while your body was asleep, or focus 12, which is the state of expanded awareness. And I would have participants come to me all the time in the lab and say, all these people are having these incredible experiences in focus 15, focus 21. I'm not even sure I've reached focus 10 yet, you know, and there would literally be like a, a focus level anxiety. Am I, am I not getting this? Am I, you know, a little slow on the uptake, you know, whatever have you. Um, and I would sit there and listen to him and it became readily apparent to me that those things, the, those cut that cosmology and the, the developing a stratum of consciousness where these experiences will be, happening to you really weren't necessary. What was necessary was that you gave them the experience or the traveler, a platform that a foothold for something that they could relate to. You know, something as simple as just a relaxation technique right. would get them into, you know, they'll, they'll get down to where they need to go. And if you encourage people to just go a little bit deeper, and those can be the exact word to use, you know, people want to go a little bit deeper. What they find there is anyone's guess, but I kind of have some suspicion to, to work off of, you know, so it, you know, it comes through experience more than anything. And I think that's helpful. And one of the things that stood out to me the most the last time that we spoke, um, I, I don't know if downplayed is the right word, but you know, you, you said it's not about having the, the OBE, the out-of-body experience. You know, Don't put your focus on that happening because that doesn't always happen for everybody and certainly not right away. I mean, you have the lucky few and that's what you hear about. And, and that really gave me pause to think about like, wow, there's other things that are equally as meaningful, I mean, the, the OBE gets all the press, but there's all these other things that we go through that foster that growth or that healing or, or that understanding. But if your focus is on, did I leave my body and, and run around the room and, and connect with people, you will come out of there feeling like, well, I failed and that didn't work. And you miss a whole wealth of experiences that could benefit you. Amen. And, you know, we can talk about that more if you like. Mm -hmm. I was thinking as you were saying that about when I, when I first came to the Monroe Institute, and then we're talking about the spring of 1988, Bob had already had two books on the shelf right. and was already known as Mr. Out of Body. And he and I would have long discussions about, you know, throughout the years that we spent together in seven until he passed away in 95, where, all right, let's take the supposition that I know through direct experience that I am more than my physical body. Mm -hmm. The question is, now what? What do I do with that information? Yeah. How does that serve me? What is, his, what is that for? What is any experience for? What are we trying to understand here? But Bob couldn't really communicate that to an audience that was already engrossed in the notion of being able to leave their physical body again because of the basic premise that they wanted to know that they survived physical death. Right. Yeah. So he was never able to make that leap. Me, I don't have two books written about the out-of-body experience, so I can say whatever I want. So I'm basically right. carrying a torch for something that, that he wanted to be able to present that he wasn't able to do so in later years of his life simply because of what he was already well known for. Right, and, and you know, and the man was a, was a pioneer for sure. Um, but I okay. get it that that is difficult when uh, when that's what you become known for. That's what people come to you to, to hear about. It's tough to yeah. to put out the other stuff. It's it's tough to almost I don't know if rebrand you yourself is is the right term, but um, it's tough to say, hey, everybody's being drawn to me for this, but I want you to look at all this too. That's that's definitely a, a big challenge. But I think through you know, people like you who, who got to know Bob and, and learn from him, 
that's how that torch has been passed on and that's how that message gets out not always in the way we we think it gets out but it, it's getting out which is wonderful well it's just my my contribution to the large conversation of, of consciousness you know, i don't expect for it to be earth shattering if it helps a couple of people i'm i'm quite just, uh, I, I consider it a success i agree you know you know as, as a teacher a school teacher I always said, if I can help one student, uh, you know, then I did my job. Um, of course, right. the goal is to try to help them all, but it, that's just not the way it works all the time. You know, but in, in talking about this, I can't help that this is a question that's always in my mind. What does this tell us about, you know, this this existence, this reality? And I know right now, and I know even with, with the work that I do on, on the crypto viewing team, we're looking at this one aspect of reality that suggests that, hey, there's there's bad people or entities that may be in charge, that may have negative thoughts uh, or, or intent towards humanity. You know, then you tie in the loose aspect to it. It's, it's easy to go down that dark road and say, wow. And I was there. I was there years ago. I was in a very dark place. I think that's when you and I first connected years ago just looking mm. at a, a loose, hungry world. And I've thought about it for a while, and I, I thought, well, we've experienced this goodness, so I, I, I believe there's goodness in the world. And when you look at the people who have these experiences out of body, and they have this the sleep paralysis, and then the entity that's in the room, and they're so scared, and they don't know what to do, and it's, oh my gosh, it's the demons. And then mm. one day they... They say, you know what? I love you. And that shadow mm-hmm. figure melts away and the experience changes. It really makes mm-hmm. you wonder, is this just some kind of giant learning machine? And as we said earlier, that conflict, that fear is our own gatekeeper that we need to get through to grow so we can go on and ask the next question. And that's that gives me a lot of hope during these dark times. Well, it's very easy to allow oneself to go into um, the exploration of darkness and get overcome by it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily sold on the notion that one should not spend some time in one's life looking at their own darkness as reflected in the darkness of the world. It's very easy for us to project that darkness lives outside of me and does yeah. not live inside of me, you know? But when I see darkness, and I have a visceral reaction, and believe me, I still do, there are some horrible things in the world that make me go, ah, you know. I have the opportunity at that moment to still still seek those dark, bring to light Mm -hmm. those dark places that are within me. And the more I do that on a personal level, the more I consider myself to have uh, be serving the better angels of my nature. But looking at things like, oh, let's say, louche, you know, and, and and the darkness that is in humanity and the things that we do fear and bring out fear in ourselves, I think that, again, that's part of the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. If you look, at, if you read any of Joseph Campbell's work, and he did such a wonderful body of work on this, the the ability to go into what he calls in the segment the belly of the whale or the dark cave right the dark recesses once the hero or heroine walks through that and does and during this time the protagonist has ethereal helpers angels uh, spirit guides um uh animal guides you know very much like, you know, Frodo and his company, so mm-hmm. to speak, or yeah. Jesus and his apostles. Right. But the, the walk into the desert, for instance, that, that Jesus had to do for 40 days and nights, where he was tempted, quote-unquote, by the all-powerful Satan, had no effect on him because his, he was willing to bring awareness to the places where he was tempted yeah. to be usurped or to allow his ego to usurp his power, his divine power, to earthly or worldly things, and therefore not accomplish his full mission. But obviously, you know, in that in that particular text, Jesus did overcome all of those things. 
not necessarily by casting white light on it or right. just, um, you know, uh, thinking positive thoughts, but really, in my imagination, as I read those stories, really sitting with those things and that he was being tempted with and having a response, his responses, you know, like man does, said written that man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. That was a statement of faith, a statement of deep internal gnosis coming from somebody who was on the way to becoming the master that he was. Mm-hmm. And the same applies for Frodo. You know, not comparing. I know there are folks who may be listening or thinking, "Well, is this guy comparing Jesus to Frodo?" <laughs> well, there, there are no. You know, Lord of the Tolkien is not a religion. Right. Christianity is, but the stories themselves mm-hmm. resonate across culture and across philosophy and across. They're all teaching stories right. that are telling us to face these fears with a deep sense of knowledge of our own internal divine power, creative creativity, and strength, therefore serving the angels of our better nature. That, that's an excellent, excellent examples and, and a great way to put that. And, and again, I think that comes back to the example of that, that I just gave, the same thing of being afraid when you have that paralysis set in and finally acknowledging it and being able to mm-hmm. move past it. And, and the, you know, perception is reality for us. You know, I'm looking at this here, you know, scary things going on in the world. And I got to say, today was probably one of the happiest days I've had in in years. I just <clears> spent the day with my kids and we, we cleaned out the chicken coop and we've got baby chickens and we were playing with them all day. And, and I'm thinking, wow, there's a lot of scary things going on in the world. And this was one of the most beautiful days I've ever had because my focus was where it needed to be. Um, there you go. And that makes all the difference in the world. It really does. How are your kids doing with this, if you don't mind my asking? Oh, that's fine. Um, I think they're starting. I mean, my, my, my son is, uh, he's seven and a half. My middle child, she, Penny, is uh, six. And Olive just mm-hmm. turned three. Um, and for the most part, it feels like summer vacation for us. I think mm-hmm. they're starting to feel some of the isolation. We live we live in the mountains um, in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like life is normal for us, but the difference mm-hmm. is we have some friends that live in the houses next to us, and you know we're not we haven't seen them in about a week and a half. Um, so right. a lot of people aren't outside, but for us we go out, we take walks to the lake, we take hikes, we're doing a lot of things. But I think they're starting to feel the isolation, and then getting on the computer to see their teacher the other day. Um, you know, my my son, I could see the tears welling up in his eyes. So I think they're feeling some of that, but. We are very fortunate where we are right now, and, and I attribute that to really my own, our own spiritual journey here in my family that led us right to where we are to have this experience. Um, it's been a fascinating up and down. I mean, I was through the darkness <laughs> to get here, but uh, I think overall we're in a good spot right now. Wow, that's wonderful to hear, and I'm sure you're doing them a real service in terms of teaching them uh how to roll with life's punches. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, so many people are afraid and, and they don't know how to deal with the fact that they're not able to go to work and they're having to be at home with their kids and they're having to homeschool their kids. There's so many things I really want to encourage all the parents out there that you could be teaching your kids right now. Yeah. Life lessons, really big ones, you know, how to be the calm in the storm. Yeah. Because then, and and when to acknowledge that it's okay to be afraid at certain points in time, but facing those fears is really uh, is really part of the the process, and it's it, it's part of the human story. I know we will prevail. We always do. Yeah. So yeah. kudos to you and and your wife for doing such a wonderful job spending quality time with your children. Thank you. Uh, you know, it, it's it's actually a dream come true for me. I've always just wanted to be home and. Uh, be with my kids and, and uh, kind of build the homestead. And now that I have the time to do that, it's a, uh, you know, it's a hidden blessing, um, you know, and scary times we face it, but uh, for the most part so far, we're, we're doing, uh, we're doing well. Um, I, I want to talk to you about, uh, you know, jumping back to the triad mind for the people that are, 
dealing with that stress and that anxiety of this, of I, I just lost my job. I'm, I'm out of work. Where's the money going to come from? Am I going to get sick? Uh, can I go out of my house? There's a lot of scary things out there. Mm-hmm. You know, what are some things that maybe they could do to help alleviate some of that? Well, one is to be in reality. And I mean that with a capital R. Mm-hmm. Be, be present with what is, what is occurring outside. There's a lot of information coming to you. Yeah. And uh, those of us who are seeking information so that we don't blow it during this course in time yep. with all the unknowns, we've got the news on and, you know, you're getting so much stuff and it's, some of it's conflicting. And depending on which news source you watch, You'll find one news channel is telling you one thing, and news uh, the other news channel is telling you another thing, and that creates that psychic tension. So the obvious answer is, uh, you know, if you're really concerned about how you're feeling anxious, limit the amount of information mm-hmm. that you're taking in. Yeah. Get what you need, and you know, then be present with how you feel about what is what you what you've heard, what's going on. Creating space for wisdom in this period in time seems to me to be of the utmost importance because wisdom, and I'll have to sidebar that later, precedes knowledge. Mm-hmm. Wisdom is like the reading, the ability to read between the lines of what is happening, but read them accurately and with balance rather than you know, uh, injecting, projecting our fears into the space that lives between uh, one event and the unknown, or, or another event, which is the unknown. So, <clears throat> excuse me. That's the first thing that I think PTM does a really good job of helping you do, is to become aware of your thoughts and feelings. We tend to spend most of our days paying very little attention to what we're thinking, yeah. but just merely thinking. We pay little attention to what we are seeing. We simply are engaged in the process of seeing. Right. Same applies for all of our our other senses and what we're feeling. Uh, people have a really hard time and spend a lot of years in psychotherapy just trying to understand their thought process, explicate it to another human being, and the feelings that are wrapped up with those thought processes. Thoughts and feelings are intricately related to one another. If you are feeling lousy, you can pretty much pay attention to what you've been thinking or trace back what you've been thinking for the past couple of minutes, and you might get a clue as to why you're feeling the way you are. Mm -hmm. Conversely, if you start thinking more positively, not in a rose-colored glasses kind of way, which can be a form of escapism, but more of a, where am I right now? What am I present with right now? What's in my environment right now? What do I see? And becoming very curious about that. If you can use your senses with curiosity, you start to realize that there's a sense of calm that immediately comes over you. And simultaneously, your thoughts become more spacious. The more space there is between the one thought and the next thought and the next thought, the more space there is for wisdom to emerge within that. Mm-hmm. Was, was that clear? Yeah, that, that's excellent advice. It, it's, um, you know, how I've been feeling a lot too, especially in, in the weeks building up to this, that I think that's when I felt the most stress. And I was looking at my phone and reading updates probably every five minutes. And it's like, I see this mm-hmm. storm coming. I, I felt it coming i see it coming I'm, I'm reading between the lines and it got so overwhelming to me and then i started mm-hmm. looking at well not enough people see it coming not enough people are preparing for it like in my in my own family and i really started to i had a significant that's when i contacted you i was at my wits end because then it was triggering yeah. all my military stuff and places i've been and, and uh, i was really having a tough time and i learned right. once i was home I, I said okay I really don't listen to the news anymore. I will go actively searching for certain things that I, you know, that are important. I'm not looking at the death count. I'm not looking at all this stuff that they're constantly throwing out there at us. I go consume the information that I need and then I disconnect for the for the rest of the day. 
Um, and that gives me that time to assess how do I feel about it? How does this impact my life? And then I can connect with, with my intuition and say, okay, what do I do about it? And that has mm-hmm. been such a help to me to just unplug and focus on those experiences with my children like I had today. And it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, I, well, congratulations. Well done, because that is the foundation or the beginning of the Triad Mind program to become an observer. Mm-hmm. And the reason we become an observer is because once you can observe with quality and with precision what's going on in your present circumstance right here, right now, and then take that a little bit deeper and start expanding your awareness to paying attention to what you're thinking and what you're feeling, you have to ask a very important question. Who is it Mm -hmm. that is observing the thoughts and the feelings because it's no longer you as the person doing the thinking and doing the feeling. You're now taking a step back and watching how there's an aspect of you that does the thinking and does the feeling. And yet another aspect of you sitting behind that aspect that can observe that in process. Once you start looking at consciousness like that, through the lens of the observer, you begin to see that there's an observer behind the observer mm-hmm. behind the observer. Right. And that hall of mirrors just goes straight back to the source point. And then we start getting into where it does, you know, because you're creating space right. in between each level of observation, each level of observer. Once you get to a certain point, you start to realize that all of this observation of the the entity that you know is Dennis or that I know is Mark that is living out these thoughts and feelings and doing and being in the physical world is really a byproduct of all these other observers, quote unquote, these other entities, aspects of them of the self that can that are having an influence on the thinking and feeling and doing of the individual walking around doing their lives. That takes you back to the source point of not only yourself, but the total self, the source point of all things, which is where wisdom feeds knowledge through understanding. That's a, getting my point? Yes. That, that there's lots yeah. of levels here, and, and space mm-hmm. is absolutely essential yeah. to begin to even have that sort of understanding of the self. It, it reminds me of, of, you know, those, not to throw dogma into it, but the, the Gnostic teachings talking about the existence of aeons, within aeons, yeah. within aeons, within aeons. You know, and, and exactly. I, in, my, uh, in my writing, I was exploring... Um, as I'm looking at these existence of these aeons, which are universal consciousness systems that exist within themselves, that that statement by Christ, I'm going to butcher it word for word. Um, First, he said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And he Mm -hmm. said, the only way to the father is through me. Uh, Mm -hmm. So when you think, when you think about that, you know, if, if Christ is, is that, external self but also you're within that external self and you have to go through those levels of observation to get to the source um, it all starts to make some sense at least for a little bit until you (laughs) you get more questions (laughs) well I think you're absolutely spot on I love uh, the Gnostic scriptures I've read both the Dead Sea Sea and Nag Hammadi works and I'm fascinated with the, again, the, the notion of the hero's journey yeah. inherent in all. They even speak of quite a lot because the Gnostics were emanationists, um, which ties into Kabbalistic teachings as well as we understand them today, where the one separated into this notion of duality of mm-hmm. male and female. Right. I don't know if you're um, familiar with the, the Gnostic scripture called Epistus Sophia. No which is is a story about how the creator of the world as understood by the 
um, Pharisees and the, the Sadducees at the time were um, basically, and um, they were they were not looking beyond that Creator, which they called the Al. I I, I will butcher this in Hebrew. But I al out. I can't even say it. I, I have no pronunciation. I'll take your word but for it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. You're going to have to. <laughs> uh, but that that creator of of the known universe had creators, and mm. that creator was this archetype called Sophia or wisdom, right? Which, according to this story here, uh, was. Had it was very almost Greco-Roman, where uh, you know you have one god uh, or goddess having uh, a consort that was not her consort, you know, yeah. and they created this uh, this uh, abomination. I think is the word they actually used for it uh, that created a world, uh, the entire universe, where that creator being actually believed. It was alone and the omnipotent. Uh, the demiurge. God. I, I am familiar with this. Right. Yeah, it was, yeah, the demiurge. Right. That, exactly. And he believed he was the only God. Uh, and then right. he created other, in, in the text I read, they created the other archons. Um, right. Yeah. Right. But the whole point of the story, in my opinion, I mean, it probably had several points, was that it's very much like that observer phenomena that I was talking about previously. There, we are creators, creating creators, uh-huh. creating creators. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The same applies for, you know, where's the wisdom in this moment back to your talking about the uh, coronavirus? It's my firm belief, and, you know, I, I could be wrong, that we create reality yeah. on some level. Yes. That puts us in a very unique position, especially at points in history like the one we're experiencing now. Because not only are we um, making things happen in the present through our doing and being and thinking and feeling and reacting, we're also projecting Mm -hmm. into a future matrix of what humanity will look like at the outcome of this. Correct. Ten years down the line, five years down the line. And I know that to be true in my own life through patterning how I wanted my life to look like five years from the date that I was doing patterning. Right, right. If no, you I, follow my... I do. I completely understand. I, I, I think in a very similar fashion. And then, of course, all the dizzying thoughts that come with that. I mean, I, I look at, you know, well, maybe that's why the news is so negative in, in Hollywood and it drives us in these lines of thought because we do have that power and that influence, you know, mm-hmm. to manifest our, our reality. And then I made it more personal and I thought, well, a lot of the things I've been studying and looking at and focused on over the years are now playing out before my eyes in front of me. Mm -hmm. I'm not Mm -hmm. some gifted psychic by any means, but this is right where my thought and focus and attention. So is this an aspect of my own subjective reality among a, 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 a plethora of realities? And I'm choosing to, even on a subconscious level, to perceive and experience this right now because that's where my focus has been. I, I do wonder about that. Well, you know, it's a good thing to wonder. Um, my yeah. personal experience, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. My personal experience. But when you look at the collective consciousness of humanity, to all, to some degree, all of us are subject to this thing that we refer to as hypnosis, which is really just the influential ability or the ability of the things that we take in through entertainment, through information sources, to have an effect on our thinking. So if you have, and there's a big debate about, you know, which news sources, the correct news source right. these days, and right. whether QAnon really has, you know, the uh, the real scoop on what's right. going on with the deep state. And I don't, I don't bother with any of that stuff simply because I know it will have an influence on my thinking, yeah. because I know that when I'm watching the television, 
I'm in an altered state of consciousness. Uh-huh. It's not a radical one, but it, it's, I'm not being present with what is present in the present moment. I'm allowing some other individual to have a direct influence on my thinking, which is permissible for me right. to degrees. You know, I want right. information, but by the same token, I need time to digest what it was you just said and apply a little critical thinking. Yeah. This bombardment that we're getting is, is dangerous. not helpful. I, I agree. It's not helpful. I, I completely agree, and, and, and you see that. I mean, there's patents on some of the uh, stuff that they can put in TV programs that are designed to influence thought, emotion, and behavior. Just knowing that um, you know, causes me to take that pause and, and to unplug. And, and, and back to the day that I had today, I haven't looked at the news once today. And I, mm-hmm. I sat upstairs, you know, after I put my kids down, who don't get me that my kids kicked my butt today, but I sat down and I said, is this really happening out there in the world? Because today it doesn't feel like there's a pandemic with military being called up, everything being shut down, people dying, you know, the world seemingly falling apart. I really had that moment of, am I imagining all this? Because today was such a special day because my focus was not on that steady stream of what's being thrown out there at us. Yeah, you're playing with your kids and, and messing with the chickens. How how fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were completely in the moment and probably very curious about what was going to happen in that moment. Next. Yeah. That's one of the beautiful things about spending time with children is because they have not lost or dampened that sense of curiosity, especially uh-huh. at the ages of your kids. You know, yeah. they're still exploring. They're still learning. They still want to know. They're they're fascinated with things. We adults, um, and I'm, I'm big on that in the Triad Mind program, I really try to encourage curiosity in a beginner's mind rather than absolutism. Uh-huh. And I think that's you huge. Know, feel free to listen. Yeah, feel free to listen to what I'm saying, but by the same token, question me. Be curious about that. Yeah. This is only my experience, you know, and I'm happy to share it. I, I find it to be, you know, real and authentic, but uh, I'm very willing to learn something. <laughs> I love learning. Yeah, and, 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 you know, once we stop learning, you know, we're no longer growing. I think, was it Tony Robbins? He says, if you're not growing, you're dying. Um, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, Tom... Tom Campbell liked to talk about that in terms of entropy and centropy. Yeah. You know? I mean, things do break down, and we are, you know, physical beings, you know, radiating atoms that, and then losing our energy. But by the same token, there's a way to bring that back into you uh, through centropy, through building up through curiosity. That's a great point. You know, keep asking those questions, Mark. We're uh, we're coming up, uh, you know, on the end of our time together for uh, for this discussion. Uh, it went really fast. Any other uh, final thoughts that you'd like to share? Um, I really love letting the interview go on that note. Just uh, if I right now, I'm I'm offering a, a couple of classes that I'm doing through Zoom to the audience that knows who I am. Uh, just to be able to talk about how we are creating in the moment and to just be aware of that. I mean, if there's a parting gift that I'd like to get uh, your listeners to consider is that you are, you have the ability to control your consciousness rather than consciousness controlling you. And in doing so, you have a much better opportunity to create what it is you want in your life rather than feeling victimized by the process of life. I think that's a, an excellent point, Mark. Uh, you know, I, I think what a lot of us are searching for is that sense of control. Um, and I feel like, you know, for me personally, I now feel like I have that control and I feel calmer and at peace um, now that I'm home in a safe space for me with my kids. And I think that through the, those meditative practices that you talked about and just paying attention to, like you said, your thoughts and your feelings, you do start to find that control. How can uh, how can my listeners find you and, and try to connect with the Triad Mind and, and uh, with with the classes you're talking about? Well, I'm readily available to answer any questions on Facebook. Um, I think my my Facebook tag is Mark Soto Nine. I'm not sure. There's a couple of us out there, but uh, you'll see the Triad Mind logo when you do that. I also would invite them to. Uh, 
to uh, join up on the Triad Mind Facebook page. There's a lot of these types of discussions on that page. But the website itself is on uh, www.thetriadmind.com. Uh, there are three levels of membership that you can get you started in these explorations. The one that you're on is uh, a bit more expensive than the than the first two. Uh, you're on a more sophisticated level. But for those folks who are just feeling a lot of anxiety and want to and are curious as to whether or not meditate any form of meditation practice can be helpful. Uh, it's five dollars a month for them to access. Uh, I think there are ten exercises on level one, and it, they can cancel at any time if they want to apply some of the more spiritual aspects of meditation. And again, I'm very syncretic and non-dogmatic and philosophically neutral, but the journey or the, the well-trodden uh, journey, spiritual journeys and disciplines have been worded in such a way that you can employ whatever spiritual beliefs you might have, even if you have none, into a meditation practice that's in level two, and that's only $10 a month. You can cancel any time. The program that you're currently involved in, Dennis, is a bit more of a commitment, as you said, uh, you know, as we were talking before, it's a six-month training that's a bit more, quite a bit more intensive, uh, and that's that's three hundred thirty-three dollars for six months of, of tutelage. So, but they, you know, people can reach me uh, through Facebook easily or through the website, and I'm happy to answer any questions. I rather enjoy talking to people. And and you always have, uh, I think, such great advice. Exactly, you know, when I reach out to you, it's exactly what I need to hear. Um, and, and you really. You guide me to find my own answers, and that's what I love about it. Um, you know, so I'd highly recommend. You know, if you're interested in, in meditation, if you're looking for a relief from that anxiety, uh, please check it out. The Triad Mind. It's it's well. It's an investment well worth your time, just to give you that peace and that pause that you need to process everything that we're dealing with right now. Well, I thank you for your vote of confidence. It's been a pleasure working with you thus far. Right. And I'm enjoying our conversations. I, I'm, thank you again for inviting me. My, it's been my pleasure, Mark. I'm, uh, I'm truly thankful. I'm going to uh, go ahead. Why don't you hold the line for a minute here, and uh, we can uh, just debrief real quick, and, and uh, we'll, we'll move forward from there. So, Mark, I want to say thank you so very much for once again coming on the podcast. It's been a true pleasure and an honor to have you on here. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, and peace to you and you, all of your listeners. Thank you, Mark. It's moments like this that I am really incredibly thankful for the Seeker Podcast. It allows me the opportunity, not just to speak with somebody like Mark, and uh, you know, and and have him share some of his experiences and things that he's learned, but to be able to share that with all of you. And I think that in a time like this, when we're being hit with so many scary things. I think conversations like this are ones we need to be listening to. I still think we need to be aware of what's going on in the world. And as Mark said, he said it clearly, we need to face that scary stuff. We need to see what we can learn from that fear. But it shouldn't paralyze us. These are opportunities for growth, for introspection, and for understanding. And I think this conversation really drove that point home. And I am... Thankful is the word that comes to my mind. And I feel even more at peace after this discussion tonight. So, Mark, once again, thank you so very much for taking the time. And uh, to my listeners out there, if you haven't done so already, please seek out the Triad Mind. It's a wonderful program. Um, So take a look at it. And uh, I, I highly, highly recommend it. I use it myself. And uh, it has it made a world of difference for me in just finding that peace in this stressful time. So uh, check it out, triadmind.com. Links will be in the show notes and in the Seeker newsletter. And that's it, my friends. Until uh, next week, look for more special reports of the Seeker podcast. I'm trying to keep them to anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes with just quick updates of uh, here's what's going on, here's how I'm seeing it, and here's what we can do about it to better our situation. And uh, there you have it. I'm Dennis Navi II. This has been yet another episode of the Seeker Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. Keep an open mind. And let your intuition be your guide. Thank you.
Oh, my God.